0: Well, let's talk about something that is not meaningless, but actually pretty meaningful. If you've been uh, watching the news and you know about something really, man, something really important, a lot of implications for our society today's day and age, the war that's being waged on chicken sandwiches between Chick-fil-A and Popeye's. Man, there's, there's a battle. If you don't know, Popeye's release a chicken sandwich and let's give credit where credits due. Their marketing campaign was pretty effective and Popeyes around the country are having to close their doors early because they're selling out of all their product. There's just such a demand. But as you can expect, Chick-fil-A is known for their customer service, right? So they're doing just fine in the meanwhile, fights are breaking out in the dining rooms of Popeyes, where it's not just people fighting over their spot in the line to get this chicken sandwich. It's employees of Popeyes fighting the patrons. Like, how does this happen? Where in customer service is that okay? Like, it's, it's, it's a crazy situation. So they've been get a little salty with each other on social media, like Chick-fil-A posted this, this picture of a bucket with a Chick-fil-A logo on it with all their chicken tenders in it and said, should have stayed in your lane, Popeyes. So <laughs> look, chick fil as closed on Sundays. So I don't know. You can't make a decision today, but I don't know. If, I don't know that Popeyes will have chicken for you today. I can't answer that question, but it's caused me to like start thinking about like customer service. And I think a lot of us, we've probably all got an amazing customer service story and a bad customer service story. There's probably people here in the room where you work in some sort of retail or you're a cashier and you know what it's like, Like, there's not a lot of meaningful interactions when when you're in customer service. And and you, you notice when it's bad, but you don't really notice when it's good, right? Like a lot of us would say, we're thankful for helpful customer service that helps us sort out our recalls or our refunds or just helps us kinda get some questions answered. But honestly, customer service is one of those things that we, we like it when we need it. We would describe it as useful. We would go so far as describe it as helpful and maybe even valuable. But most of us wouldn't describe the interactions that we have with customer service as meaningful. Like just the other day, I had to utilize the customer service for my insurance department because I was clipped by a drunk driver. Nothing bad happened, just a little bit of a dent on my rear view or my my brake light, you know, like just an easy fix. But they were so easy and so helpful on the phone, but I realized the conversation never turned into, well, enough about my wrecks, how's your car? I don't even remember any of the three or four people that I had to talk to to talk about medical claims and all this stuff. I don't remember their names. I'm glad they were there when I needed them. Like, think about your relationship with a doctor, right? Your relationship with a doctor is helpful, beneficial, certainly useful, but very few of us would describe our relationship with our doctor as meaningful. Matter of fact, I lived in Georgia for nearly five years and I haven't seen an actual doctor until like just a couple weeks ago. I just go to Minute Clinic. Now certainly anything that's called Minute Clinic is not going to be a meaningful interaction. It's like, just give me the meds, let me go. I got stuff to do, right? When's the last time you checked out your doctor? You're like, enough about me and my broken bones. How are you doing, doctor? Right? Like, my sister has a chronic illness, so she has a meaningful relationship. Like, phone calls. She brings, like, baked goods to her doctor when she goes and sees them because there's a lot of familiarity there. But for the most part, when it comes to somebody providing a service, specifically customer service, it's helpful, it's useful, it's not meaningful, right? Right? And if we're totally honest, how many of us, this pastor included, have a similar approach to our relationship with God? It's helpful in times of need. It's useful when, ah, I'm scared. I feel like I need to pray. But if that's the extent of our Christianity, if that's the extent of our walk with the Lord, of our belief system, as our way of life as Christ followers, then then we're treating Jesus like he's a genie and he only comes out to play when we need his help. I don't wanna guilt trip you for praying, right? That's definitely the last thing that I wanna do here. But there are times in my life where I see a correlation between the increase of difficulty, the increase of stress, the increase of anxiety, and also a correlation to the increase of prayer and spiritual things and Bible study Because, man, let's just put all of our cards on the table. Sometimes we have more of a transactional approach with our relationship than a relational approach. If I do these things... If I contact you this way, if I read more scripture, if I attend church more often, then maybe the bad things of life will disappear and will be replaced with the good things of God. And, 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 and listen, God wants to bless you immensely. I can show you scripture after scripture after scripture where God wants to do amazing things. And the Bible uses words like lavish to describe the way that he loves us. That's like, lavish means like throwing caution to the wind, like money isn't a thing, I just wanna bless you. But I know a lot of people, who've been disappointed with Christianity because somebody has stood on stage with a microphone and taught you to just like declare things away. Look, in, in my Bible, it doesn't say anything about our ability to just speak things into existence. We're not God. So what does it say about our relationship with God when we only approach Him when we need something? What does it say about our beliefs when our God is only called upon when there are problems in our life. That is a meaningless faith. And the whole point of studying this book of Ecclesiastes is how to find more meaning, more value from our faith. God wants so much more out of his relationship with you and I as his sons and daughters than just to treat him like he's our spiritual customer service agent. So much more than a 911 call. Is God strong enough to meet our every thirst and every need? Yes. Is God available? And does he give a special part of himself to those who are mourning? Yes, Jesus told us in Matthew 5 that you're blessed when you're mourning because then you find comfort. The book of Psalms tells us that God is near the brokenhearted. So yes, there are expressions of God that we only get when life is broken. But there's a whole lot more to this relationship. That I think many of us have yet to discover because we only use it when it benefits us. So we're going to dive into Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and see what it looks like to really walk with the Lord, to really remember all he's done, to really have a meaningful connection to our Father above. So let's pray and then we'll open up our Bibles together. And God, my request is that you would speak to us today in these few verses in this book, Lord, that our relationship with you would would dive into a deeper level, that we would truly be connected to you. We would do more than just ask for help when we need it, Lord, that we would walk and talk with you like you're our Father. So, Lord, um, we know your majesty. We know you're powerful. We know that you are everywhere at one time. Lord, today I pray that our relationship would become a little bit more personal and a little bit less professional. Be our dad, not just our king. Open up our eyes to your word today. And in your we pray, amen. So Ecclesiastes chapter 12, we're wrapping up our study through this book. And if you're first time joining us today, don't worry all of Brian's sermons are on video. They're really amazing, but I, I think you might have came at a great time because this 12th chapter is what a lot of theologians say is once you've read the entire book of Ecclesiastes, the 12th is where things kind of culminate, and it's really helpful to go back and reread them, to relook at it through this lens of remembering what God has done, remembering who God is. So open up your Bible to, to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and remember over these last few weeks, we've been talking about the highs and the lows, the depravity of the human condition, the meaningless in the pursuit of pleasure and money and status and power and all those things, and how little control we have over the ups and the downs of life. It's, it's not the most uplifting book. It's a very sober-minded book about the things that happen in this world under the sun. What are we supposed to do about it all? What can we control? Right here, Ecclesiastes 12, it begins by saying this, remember your creator, In the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. We're already off to a pretty bright start. (laughs) Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop. When the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim. When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when the people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint, when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire is no longer stirred, then people go to their eternal home and mourners go to the streets. I feel like I need to find a counselor after reading this. This is some dark stuff. And guys, guess what? It's okay. It's okay. What you're going to see is scripture, God himself, personify every single emotion that you and I can have, and it's okay to have some bad days. What we're going to see in a few minutes is that, like, how we respond to those bad days is really the only thing we have control over. Continues in in, uh, in verse six, remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring, and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. So so what is happening here? This theme of meaninglessness, this theme where, man, it seems like our effort is, is futile, it seems like no matter how good I try to be, bad things are going to happen. When the days of your youth fade, when, when people are mourning in the streets, when grasshoppers are eating everything, so fear and famine and depression, like, that's all I've got to, like, get ready for? Like, what are you trying to say here, Solomon? What Solomon is saying is, man, life is going to happen. There, there's, there's no prayer that we can pray that is going to undo Life, and, and, and not everything that you face that is negative is, is, is God expressing some kind of anger at you. Let me, just, let me just tell you this God's wrath was satisfied when Jesus paid the price on the cross. God has not been mad at a human for 2,000 years because it was all taken out on Jesus when he paid the price on the cross. So when life is going wrong, you're not being punished. Jesus tells us that he saves us from condemnation. Not from consequences. There are still consequences of our decisions and we sometimes have to face the consequences of the unwise decisions of those around us or those that are in power. But there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when we're looking at our situations and it feels like it's all falling apart, it's not because God is mad at you. It's not because God is trying to teach you a lesson the hard way. It's because life just happens. Jesus himself said, in this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome. We tend to spend a lot more time in those scriptures about overcoming and victory and you're more than a conqueror. And I don't think we in church world do enough to equip people on how to handle the difficulties of life. So this isn't just another self-help, encourage, don't give up sermon. This is really a sermon of what you and I can do in our life to strengthen our faith, to have a real meaning and a real substance in our walk with God so that when life happens, we don't forget who God is and, and, and what he's done. So I wanna I want just look through these scenarios that Solomon poses. And I want us to ask ourselves, like, man, how am I responding when I find myself in those situations, when youth is fading, when money is fading, when disease sets in, when my nightmares are becoming my reality? Am I just responding in a way that displays faith or or fear. It's really, really easy for us to become forgetful of all that God has done. I mean, heck, we even forget how good our spouse is sometimes in the middle of arguments, right? You've heard, man, like we say this a lot, like sometimes you have intense fellowship, you're disagreeing on something, and how many times have you had this like relational amnesia, and and, and the symptom shows itself when you say something super general like, you always or you never, like you know that's not true. Like, like, think about the person that you fell in love with. Do they always do that thing? Most of the time, when we say you always and you never, it's not like, you always bring me flowers when I'm having a bad day. <laughs> you never forget to finish things on your honeydew list. No, nope, it's pretty accusatory. We have this selective memory and how it benefits us. The same way we have a selective faith. <laughs> we activate it when it benefits us. It's really easy to forget how good God is when life seems to be going okay. So what does it look like for us to not have spiritual amnesia? What does it look like for us to discipline ourselves to remember the things of God, like Solomon is saying, before life happens? See, he goes through a few scenarios. I wanna see if you find yourself in one of these situations now or if you've found yourself in them before and just kind of take inventory. How did I respond What did it say about my faith or how am I responding right now? He he starts off with this, this idea of, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come. All right, so if we just look at scripture, service value then most of us in the room feel like okay well that doesn't apply to me I'm no longer a youth I mean look at these gray hairs I'm getting in my beard at 33 like I'm I'm getting old right like no that's that's not what he's talking about here let's 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 pull out the principle if if it doesn't feel like it's applicable there is a principle that is very relevant to where you are and where you could find yourself when i think about youthfulness i don't just think about strength and being able to eat all kinds of carbs and not gain any weight when i think about youthfulness i think about freedom like now that I am been married for about 10 years, I've got two kids, I've got a job, done the whole college thing. I'm just gonna be honest, if you're like a, a college age adult and you talk about being busy, I, I don't have a lot of sympathy for you. I thought I was busy then and now my wife and i are like, man, how do we ever have a time management issue? Like, man, there's so many responsibilities now. So I think that for me the principle here of youthfulness is if you find yourself in a moment of margin where the window is kind of wide open, where you can just kind of like, wow, things are okay right now. Like my, my, my to-do list seems to be pretty complete. I'm, i have got a little bit of money in the bank. If you ever find yourself where things are okay or a little bit better than okay, and you have a little bit of a sense of freedom or margin, choose to remember the Lord in those moments Don't just wait until the pressure of the everyday life and having to mortgage and everything that comes along with adulting. Don't just wait until the pressure is applied to then say, God, I need you. I think what he might be saying is don't wait until you need him to need him. But he goes on to say, what else does he say? He says, before stars grow dark, before mourners go about the streets. I think he might be saying is, Remember that, that time is precious and there's an end in sight for every single one of us. But he says when mourners go about the streets, when people are grieving, and, and as I was studying the scripture, kind of had a little bit of an epiphany, we're never going to hear our own mourners, Right? When somebody's grieving you, you'll you'll be on into the next life, right? So we never get to hear the voices of those who are mourning us. So if we are hearing the voices of mourners in the streets or people who are grieving, it's because they're experiencing some sort of a loss or you're experiencing some sort of a loss. And I think what he might be saying is don't wait until it's too late to say the things that need to be said. Don't wait until it's too late for the things that really need to matter to take priority. Don't. Become a victim to the tyranny of the urgent. Not everything that's important will scream as loud as the things that are urgent. So make the most of the opportunity and the time that you have, not just with the career moves and the financial decisions and and all these other things. Make the things that matter the most matter the most. What's important needs to become important while you've still got the time. I preach a lot of funerals, y'all. And the greatest regrets that I see are not the mistakes that people made in their relationships. It's the things that they left unsaid. The things they wish that person knew. And don't let things go unspoken. When things are good with your relationships with people, celebrate that. When things are good with your relationship with God, celebrate that. I think what he's trying to tell us is that, and life is gonna happen, right? So how do we strengthen our faith to handle these mishaps and these misfortunes. I think all this talk about remembering the Lord in the windows of time that you've got left, I think he's saying, man, we have to discipline ourselves to find reasons to rejoice and ways to remember. We have to look for the reasons. Life doesn't naturally just give you reasons to celebrate, right? Right? The urgent things are always going to distract you from the good things that God has done and the things that truly are important and the things that really should matter the most. So, we have to, in our spiritual disciplines, not just study the Bible and pray, but we've got to remember all that God has done for us. They would build tabernacles and altars in the old ancient Hebrew times just so that generations could remember what God had done for them. Those stories mattered. So when those moments of margin are fading, when your time is fading, but he also goes on to say, when the doors on the street close. So that doesn't just mean like when you've gone to your favorite store just to find that they've closed for the day. I think you have to look at this book specifically like an ancient Middle Eastern poetry book. And so there are some themes in there you have to pull out a little bit. And what he's saying here is, is, is kind of a, uh, a statement on, on commerce, on the economy, And I think this is really important. Brian gave an amazing sermon on money a few weeks ago and had the shovel and everything. I encourage you to go watch it. There's a very consistent theme all throughout Scripture that tells us how to approach our money because I think God knows that more than anything else, more than a relationship with someone you're in love with, more than anything else, the greatest competitor for our faith and our security and and our trust is our money. And I'm just telling you what happens anytime there's a dip in the stock market or anytime a recession happens, the worse things get in the economy, the greater the church attendance. <laughs> we see a lot more prayer requests when the, stock takes a, when the stock market takes a downturn in the market. I think it's because our worries are, are triggered greatly with the safety and the security of our money. And as Christ followers, our faith can't be there. Just like Brian said, it's just like a shovel, it's just a tool to accomplish God's purposes. Money is a bad God. It's going to dry up. There are going to be seasons where there's more month than money. And if money's been our hope and our security, we've been forgetting about God, if we haven't been finding ways to rejoice and, and reasons to remember all that God has done and all the ways that he has provided, when the money dries up, we're gonna start sweating. Where does, Where is the money gonna come from to pay these bills? But if we're really rooted in God and thankful when things are okay, we can be reminded that God has never missed a day of work. He's never said oops, and he's not about to take a nap on your shift. We've got to discipline ourselves to find reasons to rejoice. Ways to remember the faithfulness of God. And when we put our fears in that category, they seem a whole lot smaller. It doesn't mean that we can avoid our problems, but it means we can respond to them with a strength that we didn't know that we had. I want to, I want to suggest this to you. There is a lost and broken world around us looking for hope in all the wrong places, looking for hope in career moves, looking for hope in investment portfolios, looking for hope in relationships with humans. And, and I would, I would say that if there's one thing that the world knows really well is disappointment. That's why they're always looking in all the wrong places because this this check didn't cash. This promise was empty. What about this? What about that? If there's one thing that we should be able to provide to them is not just victory and and, and success because there's plenty of times where you know where your prayers have not gotten answered, right? Plenty of times where you wanted God to say yes, but God said no. And you, and you, you face the cancer. You face the divorce. You face the debt. And you ask for a miracle, but it didn't happen. So God guided you through it. It's not just the absence of problems that the world is looking to Christians for. It's the right response to those problems that validates our faith. So the problems that you're facing, the misfortunate moments, the mishaps, the disappointments, the betrayals, the things that we just can't avoid because life happens, the way we respond to them is the stage in which our faith is put on display. So I want you to think about it like this. How many of you played in a sports team in high school? Yeah, so, okay, that wasn't me. I, I, uh, I played baseball in, in third grade and I missed a pop fly every time. So it was like God was telling me, you're supposed to be a musician. <laughs> so help me out with this sports analogy. Um, if you don't show to practice, I don't think you're going to play as well at the game. And the only reason I, I, I feel like I can make this hypothesis is because for some reason, um, MLC has these uh, sports small groups. We do some softball, we do some flag football. About two months ago, they invited me to come out on Tuesday night and play some flag football. And I'm like, me? Like, do anybody like play guitar on the sidelines? Like, don't, 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 no, no, go Big Red. I don't know, like, what do you want from me? Am I'm a, I I'm a, I'm a, I'm a male cheerleader? Is that like, what, what do you want? So they're like, no man, come play. And so this dude brought this little, piece of paper that had all these red dots and yellow dots and X's and O's and pathways. He goes, all right, you're the red one and you're going to run a route. I'm like, okay, what's a route? (laughs) And sure enough, not a lot of passes were being thrown my way. And I was just kind of like that easy opponent. And the smallest guy on the other team was the one covering me. So I think it was actually one of the kids of one of the dads playing. If you don't practice... You don't really perform. And here's what I can tell you in my own experience as a musician. I'm a, I'm, I'm a former worship leader, and I'm just going to give you a little bit of a, of a worship leader trick so you can call Patrick out next time this happens. This would never happen to Patrick, though. So in, in rehearsal, you're supposed to, you know, memorize your lyrics and whatnot. And every once in a while, you'll see a worship leader come off the mic and say, sing it out. That's because we've forgotten the next word. And we're hoping that you're watching the screens and you will give us the next words you don't rehearse well, you don't perform well. What I would say is the way that we practice our faith, the way that we express our faith, the spiritual disciplines that we have when life is going okay is a rehearsal for the type of faith that we're going to have when life is not okay. And if we don't practice well, we're not going to perform well. Listen, the struggle that you're going through the breakthrough that you're hoping for, the miracle that you're hoping for, the, the, the help that you're seeking from God and the difficulties, it is what is going to bring your faith to life and demonstrate that there is a God who walks with us and who hears us and helps us. It may not always give us what we want, but he always gives us so much more than we need. If we don't practice well, we don't perform well. And I think that's what Solomon is saying here. It's meaningless to try to control life. It's meaningless to only have a faith that is a spiritual ambulance service. What's meaningful is to walk with God and thank Him when things are good, ask Him for help when things are bad, but to steady Eddie every day with the rising of the sun to set aside time when you could be doing other things, where you could be more productive, you could be getting ahead at work, you could be making your kids lunch. Let me just tell you, it's worth it to set that alarm clock a little bit earlier and to give God the beginning of your day. And I'm not just talking about the type of Christianity where it's like a chapter away keeps the devil away. I'm talking needing Jesus before life forces you to need Jesus. I think this is the kind of faith where it says, no, 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 I don't just need the Lord in my life. I want the Lord in my life. Before my circumstances drive me to my knees in prayer, feel like I'm suffocating. I'm going to choose Jesus now. Not just a prayer I prayed at some VBS when I was a kid. And then a box I check on Sunday mornings. No, it's a way of life. Oh, it's a relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords. He wants you to know Him. He wants you to trust Him. He wants you to walk with Him. So what are a couple of just practical things that we can implement in our lives to make sure that this is happening? And God's more than just a genie. He's bigger than the search and rescue team when you feel like you're lost at sea. Man, is he amazing at all that? Yes. Do miracles still happen? Yes. But let's focus in on the things that we can control. And that's our own spiritual disciplines. That's our own reliance on the Lord. And I would just say, man, man start with reflecting on who God is. Just a simple time of Reflection where you're not reading, where you're not rattling your list of needs off to God. Help me, help me, help me, help me. Matter of fact, Philippians says that we're supposed to represent our request with thanksgiving, and then the peace you're looking for will come and guard your heart. Man, we're really good at the request. Help, 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 help. Man, but how disciplined are we that every time we ask for help, we thank Him for something? I mean, that's, that's why you get souvenir mugs is so you reflect on fond memories. This is from Disney's Coronado Springs so that I can reflect on the worst vacation I've ever had. And that's nothing against Disney, y'all. Like, I grew up in Florida where we had like a, a Florida resident discount and you didn't have to second mortgage your house to go on vacation. So I grew up going to Disney a lot, but now that I'm adult and it's not on mom and dad's dime, like, those trips matter a whole lot more. And so you get a souvenir mug instead of staying an extra day or something, you know? That particular trip, everyone in my family got a stomach bug, everyone. We got about 30 minutes into the park and that's it. And so we stayed at this resort there. It's my favorite mug from my least favorite Disney trip, but there were some bright moments in there. Like, speaking of customer service, like Disney found out that we got sick. They sent stuffed animals to the room. They got us tickets so we could come back. I mean, it was amazing. Like there's some really fond memories that came from a really dark place. Every time I drink from this little souvenir mug, I'm reminded, you know what, things got better. That's what reflecting does, reflecting on the bad times and how God saw you through. And you know, the Bible tells us where we're weak, we're actually strong. And somehow when we reflect on who God is as a savior, as a father, as a friend, as a king, like whoever you need God to be, he will be that in your life. And in this fast-paced society the art of reflection is something that we don't make a lot of time for. Let's get down to business, God. It's lunchtime again. I'm going to pray that this Popeye sandwich doesn't make me sick. <laughs> for you college students, prayer life sounds like this God, it's getting near the end of the semester again. I know I haven't seen you since last December when it was exam time, but I'm asking you to reveal great and mighty things to me, things of which I haven't studied. <laughs> That's not reflection. Who God is is who you need. And then what we're gonna finish our time today is remembering what he's done. Reflect on who he is and remember what he's done. And we're gonna do that through the ritual of communion. It's a very powerful thing in the life of a Christ follower, something that's not meant to be taken lightly. We we handed out the communion packages on your way in, but if you don't have it in a few minutes, our, our team will be walking around to make sure you've got a package. But... When we remember what God has done, it causes us to take a little bit of confidence that God isn't getting your guardian angel and a team of other angels together in some conference room in heaven saying, okay, guys, this one snuck up on me. What are we gonna do about this car wreck that they got in? That's, whew, that's a big one, right? No. God's never been surprised. And he always has a solution. He always has a right next step for us to take. And when we take a step back, and choose to remember all that God has done and how faithful he's been. And choose to be grateful for it, man. Some peace is coming our way. And that's why I love moments like this where we partake in communion. Because it gives us a chance. to Just zoom out a little bit from the daily grind of life. And Just allow ourselves to be grateful once again for the sacrifice of God. It's the very last thing that he did before he went to the cross for our sins. Matter of fact, I just wanna read you a little bit of what happened there in the book of Mark chapter 14 when, when Jesus was surrounded by his friends and they were taking part in what was a Passover ceremony where for them it was a tradition as well where they were remembering what God did thousands of years ago when he rescued the Hebrew nation out of the slavery of Egypt. This is something they did traditionally, ritualistically and as Jesus was about to fulfill every ritual, every traditional, every sacrifice, every ordinance in the Old Testament. The old covenant was about to be satisfied in the sacrifice that Jesus was about to make. It's only fitting that he repurposed this bread and this wine for something that would follow us into this new covenant, this new relationship with him. And and, and Jesus said in, in, in Mark 14, take and eat. This is my body. And then we took a cup. He had given thanks and he gave it to them and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I tell you I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. You have to imagine the wheels that began to turn in the lives of the friends that were gathered around Jesus there in that moment because he often referred to himself as the bread of life but I think something dawned on them that loaf of bread was getting broken and torn apart to be shared. See, bread has to be sliced or broken in order so that the whole table can, can be nourished by it. A single loaf of bread isn't really going to benefit you that much. Says so This symbolizes the beating that my body's about to take, the brokenness that I'm about to experience. And then the cup full of wine symbolized the blood that was spilt. And while that might seem just so intense to us they lived in a religious system where seasonally if not weekly some sort of animal sacrifice would have to be offered and blood would have to be spilt as a temporary atonement for the sins that they had committed up to that point point. and jesus is saying here in this moment that i am that ultimate sacrifice and when i spill my blood no more blood is going to have to be spilt for your sins it will be finished so when we take the bread when we take the cup we remember what he has done for us. And My prayer for you, as the band begins to take their place, just in the quiet of your own heart and your mind, as you open that little package and take the little cracker and drink the juice, is that you would finish some unfinished business with God. Maybe there's some unconfessed sin. Maybe there's some commitments you made a long time ago that need to be revisited today. Maybe it's just simple saying, you know what? Every day this week, God, you're going to get some of my time. So whatever that recalibration needs to look like, don't waste this moment. Approach communion with a sober heart, with a repentant heart, but also with a renewed dedication to walk and talk with your heavenly father every day. Let's pray. So Jesus, in these next few moments, Lord, I pray that we just let this moment matter. Recalibrate, Lord, if it's repentance that we need, if it's a renewed commitment that we need, Lord, if it's just whatever that next step is in our expression of obedience for you, Lord, make it clear to us as we reflect on who you are and remind ourselves of all you've done for us. We're so grateful. So grateful, Jesus. And we pray, amen.